Okay. Um, so you know what's really frustrating? I am frustrated by a lot of things. Right. But what specifically sure. are you talking about? Um, uh, when, when you're having issues with your uh, debit card and your finances. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. That's annoying. <laughs> very much so. I'm very familiar <laughs> with that for sure. Because I got a call from my bank's security um, branch right. last Sunday. Okay. And they left me a message and said that there had been some activity on my account that they had flagged and they needed me to call. Well, I put that off for a while, but I ended up calling them and they said, we just need to verify a couple of purchases. Like, okay. Right. Like, oh, did you go to this place? I'm like, yes. Okay. Did you go to this place? I'm like, mm, yes. Then they then they go, did you try and spend a hundred and like ninety three dollars? I think at uh, some like some pet store, like a PetSmart or a Petco yeah. kind of situation. Yeah. I'm like, um, no, because I don't have a pet. That was what I was gonna say. I don't think you own an animal. Mm. So they're like, oh well, okay. So what they ended up doing, deactivating my card. And what I didn't realize is that, because they didn't tell me, they were going to send out another card just through the mail. Right. Um, So I go, I had to wait because it was the, they called me the Sunday right before Martin Luther King Day. Okay. So I couldn't go in Monday, obviously. Yeah. So I go in Tuesday uh, to one of the branches, talk to the guy. And and uh, he goes, oh yeah, that's no problem. Um, we we can get you another card issued. So he he checks the security people, and he's like, well, problem is it's after noon, and they've already sent out the card. However, mm-hmm. I can issue a issue you another card, yeah. but what's going to end up happening is that card that's in the mail is going to be activated. So if anybody were to just take that card out of the envelope, they could use it. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really that worried. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> so he gives me the card. I'm able to use it for one day. Yeah. I go to try and fill up gas. I think on Wednesday or Thursday, declined. I'm like, okay. Here we go. Awesome. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I look at my account. Like everything's everything's fine. What I think ended up happening, and I and I can confirm it with the bank, is that because that one is activated in the mail that's right. coming, the one that they gave me is now deactivated. So they saw the activity on the second card, and like, nope, because we sent out this one. That that could be, that could be the case. I'm I don't know, but <laughs> all I know is. I can't use a card that's in my pocket. I got to wait for the one that's coming in the mail. So you still don't have it? No. Oh. Hopefully I get it tomorrow or Tuesday. So until then, what I've been doing is just taking out money, physical money. So I have money. (laughs) And that's what I've been using. And it's really stressing me out because I don't know who accepts cash and who doesn't nowadays. That's true. And so it's. It, you Have know. you had issues with that yet? Somebody Not yet. Somebody saying no to cash. Uh-huh. Not yet. 
But I don't think I can go see a movie currently because I don't think movie theaters are accepting cash. At least I know Megaplex isn't. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I've had... uh, We had Erlen's card stolen in Vegas several years ago. We had my card stolen. We were living in West Valley. And those people similar to your story, spent close to $150 to $200 at McDonald's before they got on the freeway. That's a lot of McDonald's. That's a lot of McDonald's. I'm thinking, how many people are with you right now? That's a feast. Good grief. That's yeah. one of everything on the menu five times, mm-hmm. basically. Because <laughs> you could buy the entire menu for like 50 what, bucks. 50 bucks, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. everything's like... I mean, even their combos at the most are what six, seven dollars. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a it's a nerve wracking experience for sure. It's and annoying. then to have somebody in your own home try to access your credit card right while you're asleep right. at one thirty yeah. in the morning from yeah. the basement that's a that's a that's a whole new situation <laughs> that I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> yeah. And if you're going to do that, let's not leave a uh, a written note that has my credit card number and PIN number and name in a crumpled up piece of paper in your room. That's that's Not so much. That's no, not a smart thing to do. Let's learn to uh, hide the evidence. Yeah, you're not, that's not exactly master criminal <laughs> or, activity. Or better yet, just don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Teach <laughs> I mean, we have it to the point where I can just shut it off here on my phone so it's inactive anyway. So yeah. just, it's kind of pointless. So it is. Don't, don't try that. <laughs> it's very, very difficult to steal money nowadays. It is. Of really any kind. Like, you, yeah. it, it, you can do it. You're just not going to get away with it. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, I, I was about to say, unless you mug somebody in, a, you know, in the middle of the night, but they're not carrying cash. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if they're so. lucky enough to carry cash. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Bad news. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's yeah, been annoying. Yeah, I am definitely familiar with uh stress from finances mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> it's my middle name. Yeah. I and I don't know how the people got my information to spend the money at the pet shop. That's weird. Because I didn't like lose my card or anything. You had your card with you. Somehow they got access to the number itself. Mm-hmm. That's that's disconcerting. Yes, it is. It's it makes me wonder. Because that was the only charge they tried to do, right? Yes. Well, now I'm just confused all the way around. Because I know. Did they just give the store your number? Oh, I don't have my card, but here's the number. Pull out a piece of paper. Uh, two eight three five three. You know that kind of thing. Maybe or maybe it was online. Maybe it was a pet shop online. Oh, that could be. I I that I don't could know. be. I don't know. <laughs> At least it was red flagged, and, and they didn't yes. go through. So Yeah, it didn't go through. Fortunately for that. <laughs> yes, luckily my bank was like, he never <laughs> shops at pet stores. This is weird. That is weird. Yeah. Jeez. Anyway, <laughs> <sighs> let's get on with the, with the uh, All right. ramble proper here. So Let us begin the ramble. Pretty much since we started. Yes. Um... I think at one point or another, through most of the episodes at some point, we have yes. mentioned the Beatles. We have. Either a, a song lyric or a quote mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. But yeah. Yeah. For sure. 
So we decided that for this episode and next week's episode, they're going to be all about the Beatles. A big two-part. We are bringing our own version of Beatlemania directly to you. Yep. So, And I'm excited to do it because, same with you, I have been a fan of and obsessed with this band. Yeah. Forever, for the most part. And I think I mentioned it before when that all began. So really, you know, twelve years into my yeah. life, but uh, ever since then. So, all right. So let's let's start there okay. then, because really, who started this was if you really think about it, it was Mom, because Mom was a fan back when they first hit the scene. Yes, she was alive when they were a band, mm-hmm. and they were actually out touring and everything. Yep. Yeah, she bought the album. She watched him on Ed Sullivan, yep. all that. So she yep. she was a big fan. She was. But then what happened? I think I don't know if she just dropped off or whatever. But it wasn't until I think you said you yes. were in the car with her. Mm-hmm. And was it Yellow Submarine? It was Yellow Submarine that started okay. the whole thing. And what's interesting is that when I brought it up as to who it was. And she wasn't sure who it was right off because mm-hmm. we heard it, and I really enjoyed the song. And so I'm like, "Well, who is this?" And she said, "I think it's the Beatles." I think it's the Beatles <laughs> because to that point, because then I started listening to all songs from the from you know 50s and 60s and whatnot, yeah. and yeah. she hated it. She hated the fact I was listening to this music. She she was stuck on the you know the light FM. Right. Kenny G, adult contemporary, Neil Diamonds, yeah. you know of the time, and Easy she listening exactly. Yeah, she hated the earlier stuff because it reminded her of her teenage years, which she didn't want to relive mm. for some reason. Now, going from our little interview with her recently, is like, but why though? Because it seems like it was pretty. It seemed fine. It seemed fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like you know you suffered any serious trauma. That's, that yeah, you know that these. Songs could relate to, so I don't know, <laughs> unless we miss something, but yeah. And so from that point, um, I just started because I couldn't look anything up online because that was not a thing it's at true. the time. That's true. And so I started listening to the radio, trying to find the music. Yeah. And the heavens opened and the light <laughs> appeared on my radio, and there was a thing called Breakfast with the Beatles mm, every yep. Sunday yep. on the oldies station. Yep. And that was it. From that point on, I was glued to the radio, at least for that period of time. I was writing down songs I th- thought were the titles. Mm, right. <laughs> they weren't. They were way off. <laughs> but, you know, they kept saying the line over and over. I'm like, well, it has to be the title. So I uh, started writing it out. Yeah, you would you would record <laughs> Breakfast with the Beatles I would. onto cassettes. Yes, and play it back. And, yep. Yep. And I had all kinds of memorex tapes mm, oh filled yes. with breakfast oh with yes <laughs> so then what happened is you got obsessed with them which right. then translated to me because you were always listening to them yes so i just kind of got into it and then that kind of leaked over into joel and he started listening to right. them i don't think he does anymore but <laughs> and then that even extended further into the uh to the nieces. Oh yeah. And they started listening to them. Yeah. And so it just kind of it just kind of spread. It That's was a right. Beatles spread. It was. It was the Beatles virus. Yes. Um and to this day, even my own kids, eight and nine years old, they love the Yellow Submarine movie. Yeah, they 
they will they love the fact that the Beatles are on the Minions movie, Got to Get You Into My Life, during mm-hmm. that whole scene. And the Beatles are actually crossing Abbey Road and they step on the manhole and mm-hmm. knock them. They know who they are. <laughs> they know very well who they are. <laughs> so, That's awesome. So we've already started the next generation as well. So, so all right. Let's get into this here. All right. Now, I put together last night a, uh, a timeline of the Beatles, a Beatles timeline, if you will. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, obviously, I didn't put everything. It was more oh, yeah. bullet points. I mean, the Beatles have a very long... Now, this is interesting, because what I'm about to say, they have a long and storied history, mm-hmm. but not really technically a long career. No. Once the Beatles started recording as, officially, the Beatles, spelled with an A, with the official lineup of the four, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, it was 1962. Right. And they broke up, officially dissolved in 1970. Yeah, so eight years. Eight years. <laughs> Less than 10 years. None of them were 30 years old by then. Yeah. When they started turning 30 in 1970. <laughs> <But> <laughs> until that point, in their 20s, and then done. Yeah. But in that short time frame, they have They just, changed they, music. They changed pop yeah. music. Not only pop music itself... But the culture in general, yeah, from what it was to what it is, and they continue to do that even to this day. Just really quick before you jump in there, keep in mind this band holds the better part of 20 to 25 world records to this day mm-hmm. in music, in pop culture, including but not limited to the best selling music act of all time to the tune of 600 million. Wow. Albums sold to this day. Wow. They still hold the records for the most number ones in Billboard US chart, the most number ones Mm -hmm. in um, the UK chart, Mm -hmm. Canada. Anywhere you look, any listing, you're going to find the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. And anytime uh, a musical act has, like, tied their record, like, they always bring it up. Always. Yeah. This is the first time somebody's done this since... The Beatles. Since the Beatles. Yep. It's the first time they've had this many hits in the top ten since the Beatles. That's right. Yeah. And and I believe there are records and things that have occurred that will never happen again. Specifically, at one point, the Beatles held the top five positions on Billboard. (laughs) Yeah. One through five. Yeah. Now, granted, I don't think Billboard is the goal for a lot of these artists nowadays, Mm -hmm. but it's still being recorded i mean they still make the list yeah but um yeah i don't know how you feel about this but i think a couple that have come close yes i know kesha she did had uh one and two for Mm -hmm. a bit and i think taylor swift Mm -hmm. also had like several in the top five now i'm not sure we'll probably not get to it this episode but taylor swift is very much influenced by the beatles Mm. admittedly she has said that her love for Paul McCartney and the kind of music he writes is what really inspired her as an artist. Right. So, right. But we'll get to inspiration, I'm sure, at one point. Yes. <laughs> if not this episode, the next. Right. So, <clears throat> let's start off here. So, um, I figured we'd start off when um, they were born. Yes. Uh, 1940. Uh, Richard Starkey, aka Ringo right. Starr, and John Lennon, yep. born in Liverpool. 1942, James Paul McCartney, a.k.a. Paul McCartney. (laughs) 
AKA uh, the cute one. Yes. Apparently. Was born also in Liverpool. And then 1943, George Harrison, AKA right. George Harrison <laughs> was born also, of course, in Liverpool. He was. They were the Liverpool lads. Yep. Liverpudlians, if you will. Now, um, if, um, Liverpool is very much just a harbor town. Yes. And even way back then, it was just dirty and smoky and just run down and just horrible place. It's nothing to, <laughs> yeah, it's nothing right home about. Like, even now, yeah. you look at it and it's like, it's just any any normal, like, UK town. Really. Yeah, any little seaside port town, that's that's yeah. what it was. So. so then, let's fast forward to 1956. Yes. At age 16, John forms the Quarrymen with a few of his school buddies. He does. Pete Shotton is one of the uh, um, earliest members. Um, and uh, drummer by the name of, I had it with me, Colin, I think is his name. Because Pete Shotton died. Let me double check really quick here. Okay. Um, Hold on a sec. Yeah, Colin Hanton was actually the drummer for the Corpsmen. And the reason I bring him up is that he is still alive to this day. Is he? Along with several other members that played with John Lennon as the Quarrymen as cool. teenagers. They're yeah. still performing today as the Quarrymen. <laughs> wow. But what's interesting, and I don't want to get too far off topic here, they didn't reform and start playing again until 1997. Wow. Now, isn't that a coincidence that due to the resurgence of Beatle popularity thanks to anthology, right. all right, of a sudden, right, right. the Quarrymen are back together. And yeah. now they're playing and touring again. All of a sudden, one of them got the idea, like, hey. Mm, how about that? Mm. So, yeah. So, uh, Dufflo, Colin Hanton, Chaz Newby. Chaz Newby wasn't an originally part of the uh, Quarrymen, but he did play bass with the Beatles between 1960 and 1961, mm. shortly after Stu Sutcliffe stayed in Germany and before they hired Pete Best. Right. So. Huh. Okay. Well, not Pete Best. Sorry, he was the drummer. Before um, Paul McCartney took over bass duties. Right. Not drummer. They went through a lot of drummers. but. Um, So then, uh, 1957, on July 6th, uh, John meets Paul after performing at St. Peter's Woolton Parish Church. That's right. With his with his group. Mm -hmm. Um, And then asked Paul to join the band. Yeah, he did. It was a little church... Fate, as they say, mm-hmm. a little uh, church get together, a little activity. Mm-hmm. They per- the John Lennon Corman were forming on the back of this wagon, um, as you can see in the famous photograph. Yes, um, and they're playing all the standards of the time. They're what is called a skiffle group, which is basically, you know, a garage band slash bluegrass cover group is what it is. Mm. You had washboards. You had what was called a tea chest bass, mm-hmm. which is basically a gut bucket but with a tea chest. Right. And so that's the kind of music they played. And what really interested Paul McCartney is that when John Lennon was singing um, the old Carl Perkins tune, was it Carl Perkins? Not Carl Perkins. Who sang um, Bebopalula? Was it Carl Perkins? I don't know. Anyway, he was singing it, but he didn't know all the words. And so he was making it up as he went along. (laughs) And so (laughs) so Paul McCartney thought that was pretty clever. And so he... uh, Right, he, he appreciated that. So. And wasn't he also because he had a little guitar? Yes. Wasn't he playing like ukulele chords? He did. Or, yeah. Yeah. His. Uh, that's all he knew. That's all he knew. He w- he was taught ukulele chords because his mom played. 
I think it was his mom, yes. And so, but she only ever played the ukulele because, believe it or not, at that time, guitars were not really a popular yeah. thing, yeah. which is really weird to think about. That is weird. And so the emergence of this new thing called, you know, the electric <laughs> guitar really was, um, you know, new stuff. Yeah. And so all she knew was the ukulele chords. So um, it's interesting to think how many things had to line up for this group to happen. Like uh, John's mom being musical, Paul's dad being musical. Yep. And then passing that love of music onto the two because right. they could have gone like I'm not really interested or you know yeah. move on to something else. But George Harrison's father was not musical. In fact, he was very standoffish of George mm. playing music at all. He he wasn't a big fan of that. But either one of his friends or another relative actually taught him a few a few chords that he could play. Right. You know, jazz standards from like the. 30s and 40s well and that's the thing that they've they've talked about in in interviews is you you obviously you couldn't just look up chords right you had to find somebody that knew the chord that's get right. them to teach you and then you could teach everybody else that's right paul mccartney was he was in a music store a guitar store and he saw the owner playing this guitar and he hit this chord and they're like we don't know that mm -hmm. what is that chord you just played and so they taught he taught him and George this guitar, and then they took it to all their friends, and yeah. now everybody knew that one. I think it was something weird, like an F7 or something strange. Right, but right. And they went off with that, and they remembered that chord, and it became part of, I think it was I Will, their song I Will later on down the line. Hmm. They used that specifically because, you know, to remember that was one of the first ones they had. So, um, so then in uh, February of 1958, yes. George joins the group through uh paul's recommendation right because paul knew george through school yeah they, they were on the same bus for the yeah. most part because he was still a little older paul was going to what's called the liverpool institute i'm not sure the same the exact school that george was going to but uh yeah they lived nearby yeah ish so it seems so. like they weren't friends per se no they were friendly but were, it was more acquaintances yeah. and they really started hanging out a little bit more due to their love of music right and so right um so then 1960 skipping ahead a bit uh Stu sutcliffe joins the band and they change their name to the silver beatles the silver beatles yep and it's interesting because this is beatles with two e's by the way right we're talking the bugs yeah these are the these are the silver bugs. So. Um, so then, in August of 1960, Pete Best joins the band as the drummer. Mm -hmm. uh, the group travels to Hamburg to perform at various clubs. They do. Um, the Silver Beetle. Well, when they first brought on Stu Sutcliffe, he didn't know how to play the bass, but he had money, and they convinced him to buy a bass. Right. He was an artist, and so. They needed a bass player mm -hmm. because all they had was guitars and there was no real rhythm section. So mm -hmm. they needed a drummer and they needed a bass player. Um, they looked at Pete Best because he actually had drums. <laughs> so right. it's like, neat, you have drums, join us. <laughs> and, uh, and John Lennon, being a friend of Stu Sutcliffe, you know, pressured him into buying the bass even though he didn't know how to play. Yeah. And so they taught him the basics but made sure he was looking away if they were having pictures taken. Mm -hmm. So people didn't see he had the wrong chords going or his fingers. Right, there's a lot of pictures where his back is turned. His back is turned. And, yep, yeah. yep. <laughs> but he, he was he was a good-looking kid, and so at that time that was really more important. Yep. <laughs> you know? so. 
Um, and then he didn't stay too long though, because in spring of 1961 he quit the band. He did during their time in Hamburg. Yeah, he decided I've had enough of this, and you know he uh, started really trying to hook up with his girl Astrid. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's well known for taking some of the earlier black and white photos of the Beatles. Right. And uh, they started a relationship, and he just stayed on out there in Germany. So. Um. So then in November of 61, that's when they first meet Brian Epstein. Mm-hmm. And he becomes their uh, official, unofficial at the time, manager. Yeah, he, he owned a little record store, a little record shop. And people started coming in asking for this band that they were hearing at the Cavern Club. Right. The Beatles. And he's like, well, I don't have this. I'm sorry, I don't have the Beatles right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they've recorded anything yet. And so that's actually a good impression. <laughs> and so what I did was I started looking around, you know, that kind of. Thing. But uh, <laughs> and so when pe- more and more people started asking, then he finally, um, the Beatles had recorded one or two little singles, right, on a relatively unknown or a much smaller label, and he bought like two hundred copies of their first recorded single, mm-hmm. and they sold very quickly. And so that really piqued his interest mm-hmm. as to who this band was. So. Yeah. Um, then in, uh, in 1962, on January 1st, the band auditions for Decca Records. <laughs> yes. Um, and then a lot of stuff happened in 62, so we'll just kind of run through some stuff here. Uh, Stu Sutcliffe dies. He does. Um, Which, by the way, if I can just intercede. Yeah. There was a movie released... Called, I think it was called Backbeat. I Sounds think familiar. it was Backbeat. And that movie focused solely on their years in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. Basically, John Lennon and Stu Sutcliffe's relationship. Um, there's a scene in there where they claim that they got into a fight. And John Lennon either ended up hitting him or kicking him in the head. Or he fell and hit his head due to the fight. And that's what led to Stu Sutcliffe's brain hemorrhage to what he died from. Right. Um, that is incorrect, and I will correct that right now. Okay. <laughs> um, he so that died. seemed really dark. Yes. Yeah. He, and a lot of this stemmed from Stu Sutcliffe's sister actually coming forward and trying to get a lawsuit started for an un, you know, law, or a wrongful death sure, suit against sure. John Lennon or his estates. I'm not exactly sure of the years this happened, but this came out, and everybody was coming forward saying that's not how it happened. Stu Sutcliffe was in one fight that they could remember, and it was actually John Lennon who stepped in to help him mm. with it. They never fought each other to the to that extent. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they argued and fought like most friends do. Sure, but but that's all it was, and so you know, it was just this random hemorrhage. I mean, I had a I had a friend that died of basically the same yeah. situation, and it wasn't because he got in a fight. It was just. The body and brain does yeah. weird things at the time. So, um, in May, May 9th, actually, they hired George Martin as their producer. Right. Never had another producer on any of their saw albums, I don't believe, except for him. Right. Yeah, not until way later when they just kind of. Uh, he was more of a figurehead. Mm-hmm. 
in in their later years to where they kind of produced themselves in a way. Right, right, yeah. Until yeah, they yeah. got to around the Let It Be sessions yeah. and then brought him back saying, oh, we need help because of the chaos that was in <laughs> Right. And so they needed their father figure back in to help correct <laughs> the situation. But what's interesting about, if I can, about the DECA audition. Yeah. Um, you know the famous quote with that, right? Mm. When they refused the Beatles. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Where Decca? I knew th- I knew there was a uh, record label that did. Yeah, that was Decca, and uh, okay. they said guitar groups aren't going to make it. So sorry. What's interesting though is that they hired, in place of the Beatles, they hired the Tremolos. Uh-huh. Now the Tremolos, if I let me double check that, they had. I'm trying to think of. They had one hit in 1967. Mm-hmm. But that was the extent, really, of their success. Mm-hmm. And they weren't a guitar-heavy group. They were a vocal group, mm-hmm. you know, backed kind of by, like, strings and right. you know, stuff like that. But obviously, <laughs> do you remember the Beatles or do you remember the Tremolos? Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, the, the main head of DECA has received all kinds of crap. Over I'm the years sure he did. That, uh, yep, well, you didn't sign the Beatles, did you? <laughs> Too bad for you. So even in 1967, <laughs> they were still like, oh, guitar groups, mm, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Mm, mm. Sorry. Um, then in August, uh, Pete Best quits. He does. Slash leave, slash was fired, depend <laughs> on the story here. Depend on the story, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to look really quick. Hold on here. Uh, anyway, sorry, I was looking at the tremolos again. Oh, okay. I'm still stuck on the tremolos. Okay, yes, 967. Their song, Silence is Golden. Oh, okay. Silence yeah. is Golden. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. That's their That's their one big hit. But, uh, okay, so the Pete Best situation. Yes. What do you know about Pete Best and his situation? Um, That he was a part of them for a bit, was yes. the drummer. Yes. Um, he he played with them like during the cavern cavern right. club years, yeah. um, Germany tour stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sure why they left though. Uh, I think it was because uh, because <clears throat> either Ringo was a better drummer or more established yeah. and better known or something like that. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. That's all correct. It oh, okay. is um, from from what I understand. Now let me just put this out here. I am no definitive source for Beatles knowledge, but having followed and read and studied the group for the better part of thirty some odd years, yeah, I think I have a little bit of knowledge. Sure. <laughs> so um, from what I gathered, and what, what's interesting is that in subsequent interviews with Paul and with Ringo, they said that Pete Best would miss shows mm. he would miss rehearsals from taking a pill self-induced pill that made him sick nice so that makes me think and after he was fired from the beatles he tried to commit suicide and um it didn't succeed obviously because he's still around today yeah. but he did not get behind the drums again until about 20 some odd years later mm. and so with him shying away from that, shying away from the spotlight, shying away from playing, makes me think that he was just not comfortable from the get-go. Right. Yeah. With, 
I, I think he became part of the group the same way that Stu did, where they just kind of pressured him, well, you have the equipment and we need this. Mm-hmm. So let's go yeah. kind of situation. And so he sounded like self-induced sickness. <laughs> but fortunately, the Beatles were, were um, on the bill and touring with other people at the time, Johnny Gentle and um, uh, Rory Storm and mm-hmm. the Hurricanes, mm-hmm. which Ringo was actually playing for. And so several times after... Um, or before, because Roy Storm was actually the headliner, um, Ringo would have to come and sit in with with the Beatles because mm-hmm. their drummer wasn't there. Right. And so, yeah, eventually it just got to the point. It's like, look, you're never here. You're a substandard drummer at best. And your hair doesn't lay flat because it's super curly. <laughs> right. And so you're just standing out awkwardly. <laughs> and so it, they, they put it on Brian Epstein to be the bad guy, and he was the one that gave him the call saying... The lads want you after the band, you know. So, <laughs> so sorry, so sorry. So sorry. You've been, you've been so fired. Sorry. You've been oh, sacked. About that. Oh dear, you've been sacked. I'm afraid. You've been sacked from the Beatles. Goodbye. You know. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So they fired him. Um, there was a drummer. I can't remember his name right off. That kind of s- sat in between, somewhere between sixty and sixty-one, or the rest of the Hamburg tour to fill in after pete best was gone and before they hired ringo um, i think his last name was white andy white was a studio drummer okay okay that, after, yeah, okay, yeah after they got hired with capital and george martin wanted a wanted a drummer that wasn't pete best mm. and so so even then even their producers like who uh, mm, <laughs> he's got he's, no, he's gotta go he, he's gotta go he's gotta so. go but yeah so so it's it's all for all <clears throat> those reasons they let um Pete Best go. And now to this day, he's out there touring as well, touted as, you know, Pete Best and his all-stars or the Pete Best band. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. It's like Ride those coattails, Pete. That's exactly what it is. Ride those coattails. Same with the quarrymen and uh Pete Best and <laughs> you know, get the crumbs while you can. Yep. <laughs> so he was he left slash quit slash was fired on August 16th. <laughs> yes. And then Two days later, August 18th, Ringo Starr joins the band. Officially joins the the band. Yep. As their official uh, drummer. And then they played the Cavern, and everybody hated it. Yeah. Weren't a fan. hated Ringo. Because a lot of the girls were coming to see Pete. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if you look at those early videos, he's got like the, you know, half-closed eyes. He's got got a... Sideways glance. James Dean aura. He very... Very much does. Yeah. And so they alienated a lot of their fan base to where they camped outside of Pete Best's house with the chant, you know, Ringo never, Pete Best forever kind of thing. <laughs> In fact, George Harrison got into a fight over that situation. He ended up with a black eye. You can actually see a couple shots of him playing at the cavern subsequently with a black eye <laughs> because he got into a heat argument with a fan. <laughs> I don't know if it was a girl or guy, but it punched him in the face because of Pete Best. So. Wow. <laughs> Poor um, George. Poor yeah. the youngest George. Sorry, like 17 or 18 at the time. Jeez. Rude. Um, so then on <laughs> September 11th of that year, 62, they recorded their first single, Love Me Do. Love Me Do. Yep. Then we're off and running. Yep. And like you said... Um, George Martin brought in 
Andy White to play on this mm-hmm. because he didn't like Pete Best, but he wasn't made aware that they had fired Pete Best and hired Ringo right. in between that time. And so Ringo showed up expecting the play, and George was like, I don't know who you are. I have this guy here bang away on some secondary percussion because right. you're not playing the drums. Right, right. So-, <laughs> um, so then on February 11th, 1963, the Beatles, as they are now known, EA, yes. uh, record their first album, Please Please Me. They do. Um, often going. Often going. And then, uh, let's see. Um, on October 13th, yes. uh, this is how quick things were starting to happen. So oh, yeah. they record their first album in six, uh, February 63. October 13th of 63, the Beatles appear on the television show Val Parnell's Sunday Night at the London Palladium. <laughs> 15 million people tuned in. Um inspiring one paper the uh, next day to coin the phrase Beatlemania. There it is. After, after that show. There it is. That's how quick things snowballed it's for snowballed. them. It snowballed. It snowballed like crazy. Yeah. Um, people were just looking to glom on to this new sound because mm-hmm. it was new. I mean, to this point, the type of music they were playing did not exist at least over in england yeah um to an extent it did here in america because we had you know people like the chuck berries and the fats dominoes and the little richard and the little richards and elvis for heaven's sake elvis oh yeah him and yeah yeah, that guy and then uh you know buddy holly's music was continuing on and and these were the guys that really started kicking the rock and roll genre as it were i did air quotes by the way if you didn't hear that (laughs) um (laughs) They really, you know, kicked off that genre, which up until that point didn't exist as that. Yeah. Because rock and roll came in as a as an amalgamation between country music and the R&B of the African-American right. community. And it was Elvis that really took that and ran with it and inspired so many other people mm-hmm. and brought the R&B music that was, let's be honest, culturally secondary at yes. the time. yeah into more mainstream white racist America. And so right. they were more comfortable buying those records as opposed to coming into, you know, with blues classics like Joe Johnson and, and stuff like that and Muddy Waters and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That your racist father or grandfather would break in half and throw out the door and yep. you know put on yep. his white hood and go to the KKK meetings. Yep. So <laughs> but now you had these white guys and so your parents still hated them, but they hated them for different reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but because you as a teenager want to rebel, that's who you go with. Yep. Because your parents hate them, you love them, and there it is. Yep. And it started off. Um, so then we head to November 22nd of 63, yes. where with the Beatles, their second album was released. With the Beatles. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so then... Um, February 9th, uh, big day, 1964, the Beatles first appear on Ed Sullivan. Many people think that that was the first time on TV that Americans ever saw the Beatles, which is not true. Not true. They appeared on the Tonight Show, I think, uh, Jack Parr. Jack Parr show. Showed a a video of them. He showed a clip of them. Yep. I'm not exactly sure what clip he showed, 
but they were on stage. Yeah. And so that was really their first television exposure, mm -hmm. which gets overlooked for Ed Sullivan because they were, you know, they're live. And, you know. Well, plus <laughs> that clip doesn't exist anymore there because you go. I found out that what NBC would do would they tape stuff, tape stuff, show it, and then re record things on the same on the same tapes oh same so they film, just recorded so over it they recorded over it nice yeah. yeah nice um and so ed sullivan started and yes and by this time color tv was a thing yeah and so that this is where i think we've we've argued with mom about this point. Our, our mom's revisionist history because she is convinced absolutely convinced that it was black and white yeah and maybe it was on her tv but you know, trying to convince her because your TV didn't get color doesn't mean it wasn't in color at the right. time. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was in its early stages, but it was still, <laughs> still there. So, um, and this has been now two years, really, since their first um, album was released. Yeah. 62 to 64. Two years. Uh -huh. That's it. That yeah. is. That's the only time. <laughs> that's the time frame and they're now the biggest band in the world yeah two years it took it it just it went off like crazy yeah and and i don't think there's a lot of people the younger people i i hate saying that phrase because it makes me old no you know i hate the fact that i'm the same age as some of these old people <laughs> i know <weird>. i know <laughs> it's, it's weird it is so weird but um it was just the time where it was, even John Lennon has said this, that they were just a band that just showed up at the right time. Yep. And really that's, in a way, it was true. Because Elvis was in the military between 1958 to 1960. Mm -hmm. 1959, Buddy Holly died mm -hmm. with Richie Valens, Big Bopper. So all you had left on the charts were residual Buddy Holly music. Elvis wasn't producing anything new because he was mm -hmm. in the military. So you had people like... Bing Crosby, the Andrews sisters, right? Perry yeah, Como, yeah. Um, you know, giving you all these little ballads and things like that, you know, or or country, mm -hmm. which which was a little more you know exciting, yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> but that's not what they were looking for. They wanted the louder rock music yeah. that Elvis had started, and so that's when the Beatles came in to fill that gap. Yep. And everybody was shocked because they were these proper English lads, supposedly. And here they are with long hair and screaming and, you yeah. know, wooing all over the place. And it's like, uh, everybody was confused by this. They're like, <laughs> what, <laughs> what yeah. is happening here? But, you know, the record buying public loved it and away they went. So. Yeah, they may have come off or looked proper english men oh yeah they mm, mm -mm, no not so much <laughs> not by a long shot not now, by you, a long shot if you read some of their biographies like, oh, if you don't man. want your illusion shattered about the band no <laughs> man they were anything but yes good grief i mean they were um inappropriate with the ladies we can mm -hmm. say um property damage theft um almost from the get-go yeah i mean that's just that's how they were. That's how yep. they were raised. That's yep. the culture they were raised in. Yep. Even Paul McCartney to this day says, you know, we were born in Liverpool where it's, you know, best to get in the first punch in a fight. You know, yeah. it's just, that's what they were 
looking to do right from the beginning. Yep. You know, so. And Pete Best and Paul McCartney were charged with attempted arson. That's right. At the Star Club. That's right. I think it was the Star Club at Hamburg because they tried to burn it down, apparently, (laughs) from lighting a condom on the wall. (laughs) They stuck a condom to a wall and lit it on fire. And lit it because they knew it would leave this, you know, phallic symbol on the wall. And they thought they were trying to burn the place down. I was like, no, that's, we just wanted to, <laughs> you know, vandalize it for a little. That's all. Yeah. Um, so then they got banned for life from there, by the way. Yes, they did. <laughs> Wonder if that's still in effect. <laughs> um, and then June 26th of 64, a lot of things happened. Obviously, blew up in 64. Oh, yeah. The Hard Day's Night album was released in the U.S. Yes. July 6th, it was then released in the U.K. Right. Uh, so then we go to December 4th, 1964. Beatles for Sale was released in the UK. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, then we get to 65. July 29th, 65. Help. The help. Oh, even before that, uh, I didn't mark down when they made or when the Hard Day's Night movie was released. Right. Um, oh, no, I did. It was July 6th. Never mind. That yeah. was the movie. Was released in the UK. There you go. And that so, was that was the first time a lot of people were able to see them on screen, apart right. from just hearing them off the radio or yeah. seeing them on record. Or so, and that was huge. That was huge for a lot of people. I've appreciated that movie a lot more over the years. Yeah, because uh, when I was younger, I I watched it and it was it was fine. You know, I think it was great. But after going back and watching it several more times, like, oh no, this is actually this is actually really good. This is actually really funny. It is, and obviously there weren't actors. No, you know, no. But um, some they pulled off some of their, you know, what they were expected to do mm-hmm. fairly well. You know? Yeah. Um, the critics gave Ringo all the praise, really, that he was like a new Charlie Chaplin kind of situation. But I'm like, did you? People loved Ringo back in the '60s. They did. They it's did. so weird. Whenever he was introduced to do his one song during their concert, it exploded. Yeah. And I actually asked our mom about this. I'm like, were you a because I asked her, who did you find to be the most attractive? Mm-hmm. Beetle. And she actually said, I really liked Paul, obviously. Yeah. Said, but then Ringo. And I'm like, why? What in the world? Why? And she she equated it to like the look of a little lost dog with mm, the big sad eyes right, right the puppy dog eyes which he did he had these big droopy goofy looking eyeballs yeah you know but say so did paul but he was taller <laughs> <laughs> so you know everybody saw him as just this quiet you know lost little yeah, puppy dog yeah. genre or air you know air about him and right. so that's what <laughs> drove people to it i guess <laughs> um and so his line, oh, in Hard Day's Night, oh my gosh. Just when they're on the train, mm-hmm. that is the cringiest line in almost all of cinematic history. Yeah, it's bad. When he's talking to Paul and he's like, well, if it's your grandfather, who knows? <laughs> almost exactly like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and it's overdubbed. You see it clearly in, in, yeah. the, in the movie. It's overdubbed. And so <laughs> I don't know if, what they recorded initially was worse, but if they had to overdub it with this, yeah. man, I can only yeah. imagine how crappy that was. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then George in the movie, he was very robotic in his lines too. Well, you never know. You might be lucky this time. You know, it's just mm-hmm. very robotic. Yeah. And so for my money, I'd say John Lennon was probably the best actor in that yes. film. Yes. Yeah. I think. So. Um. So then uh, July 29th, 1965, the Help movie was released. Uh, and then on August 6th, the Help um, album was released in the UK. Yep. Then August 15th, the Beatles perform at Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium. Yep. And that was uh, to that was one of, if not the first stadium concert ever. Right. This is part of what we'll, I'm sure we'll get into in a little bit, the innovations that the Beatles brought for not only recording techniques and things like that, but how concerts are attended mm-hmm. and how they're looked and how they need to be um, amplified yeah. because they were really the guinea pigs on this. And all they had were the speakers on stage and the crappy PA system mm-hmm. in Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium. Which was, you know, used to announce baseball players as yeah. they came up to the, you know. So I can only imagine the garbage sound that people were hearing. Oh, if yeah. you could hear anything yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, Because it was just nonstop screaming. Yeah. Pandemonium. Even George Martin said about the Hollywood Bowl performance, like, it's like you took a microphone and put it next to a jet engine. Mm-hmm. That was how loud this constant screaming was, you know, just directed right at them on stage. And so it's almost impossible to hear yourself play. Yeah, yeah. Um, so December 3rd of that year, 65, they released Rubber Soul. Um, and then August 5th, 1966, they released Revolver. Yes. August 29th, 66, uh, the Beatles played their final concert at Candlestick Park. Good old Candlestick. 66 and they were done performing live four years yeah four years since they signed their contract with emi and george martin and that was it they were done touring yeah that's crazy especially yeah for bands back then because that was your exposure yeah i mean you wanted to be out there get your name out there but they were nope we're done i I always (laughs) got the impression that they they never really wanted to be a live touring band they were always more interested in the studio recording the studio they enjoyed the quieter venues yeah i mean they loved they loved performing um like in the early years around hamburg and stuff like that but i think it took a toll on them because they did a residency in germany for almost 50 days straight right and then the same thing happened um, in England. They did these residencies that just went on and on for months. And to go out there and perform with that sort of energy, you know, to keep people interested, I can only imagine what that does to yeah. you. Had to be exhausting. My gosh. And so when people give them crap about taking like upper pills and stuff like that, it's like, what else did you want them to do? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they they were under contract and basically you know signed their life away to do this. Mm-hmm. They became performing monkeys, yeah. really, and um, you know go out and play. You know, yep. We say play, so you go play. Yep, for as long as it takes. So they even had concerts or these shows in Hamburg that went way longer than they should have, like overnight kind of things, mm-hmm. because then they'd start drinking, they get drunk, and then it just turn into chaos. Yeah. And so, yeah, so by the time they, four years on, they're like, I can't do it. 
can't do it anymore. We've, we've crossed the globe several times. It's like, stop. Yeah. This has got to stop. <laughs> it's like, if, if we want to grow as a band, if we want to, you know, expand our sound, if we want to evolve, we got to get out of this. Yeah. Because we can't get better not hearing what we're doing. Yeah, and so. I'm sure that was a big part of it. Like, I'm sure they felt creatively stuck. Oh, yeah. Because they were playing, you know, the same songs all the time and, yeah. you know, couldn't hear them anyway. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm shocked when you, when you listen to the Hollywood Bowl recording or you listen to any of these other stadium or concerts where it's just constant screaming. If you can hear the band... <laughs> I'm surprised how well they're actually performing. Yeah. You know, that's to their credit. They're on key, mm-hmm. they're on tune, they're on the beat. But it it had to be impossible. They didn't have earpieces to listen to themselves. They didn't even have front-facing speakers coming back at them. It was all from behind. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they were on key at all, especially in the, like in the harmony songs, the tighter harmonies, is just amazing to me. It's just amazing. That yeah. they could do it. So. Yeah, Ringo Ringo has said many times that he had to like pay attention to to John, uh basically his backside right. to know kind of what the beat was. Yeah. What what yeah, what they were doing. Yep, with John Lennon tapping away, that's how he learned what the yep. beat was. <laughs> and uh to Ringo's credit, as as they've been pointing out recently, um he has a very good sense of keeping the time. Yes. Without even trying. It's yeah. just one of his one of his skills, if not the skill that he has, <laughs> was to keep straight time. Yeah. And so they could hear him banging away because mm-hmm. he's watching them. And so they kept each other, yep. you know, syncopated. So it's impressive. Uh, November 3rd, 1966, John Lennon meets Yoko Ono yeah. at the Indica Gallery. The Indica Gallery. Now that building is still there, but the Indica Gallery closed. Jeez, I'd say about 40 years ago. Yeah. So the actual art gallery closed. They've done, you know, little revisions of the of what used to be there, um, original art pieces that were there. But yeah, he uh, met her, and there you go. And there you go. <laughs> um, that was November 3rd. Then we fast forward to April 19th, 1967. Yes. Apple Corps is formed. It is. It is that it's it's announced at the hotel. I think it's at the Americana Hotel. Um, they announced the formation of Apple Corps, which is their own business. They start advertising for people to, if you feel creatively stuck and you need an outlet, we'll help you with mm-hmm. money and finances and we'll get you out there. And that was a bad idea because then it went crazy. Everybody was giving them everything from every direction. Yeah. Here, sign me, do this, let's do this, give me money here, give me money here. And so money started disappearing almost immediately mm-hmm. from their business. So, yeah, they they needed a better business plan there. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, all they did that they had that one advertisement that said this man has talent, and it's a one man band. He's playing mm-hmm. the guitar and a, he's got the drums on his back, and he says, you know, he signed with Applecore and now he owns a Bentley. Right. And so everybody's looking at, oh, I want that. And so whatever minimal talent you had, they were knocking down the door. Yep. Of Apple Core, Baltimore. Who's your friend? Me. <laughs> if you know that, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> if you know where that's from. Um, June first, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is released. Yes. Considered by most to kind of be the Beatles' magnum opus, basically. It has a lot going 
in it. Yeah. And for it, for sure. I I personally don't see it as their best album. Mm, me neither. Um, Never have. Yeah. But it's it's me personally. It's it's good mm-hmm. as a concept album. And this is another thing that the Beatles kicked off were these you know concept albums. This idea of you know going with a theme and yeah. and and flowing with it. Who really ran from that and was heavily inspired by that was Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, The Wall. They're telling a story through their entire album. All right. Completely inspired by what the Beatles did with Sgt. Pepper. Right. Um, June 25th, live taping of All You Need Is Love. Uh, worldwide broadcast. And that's another first for yep. the Beatles. That was the first time that ever happened. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Yes, I have. It's boring. It is. It is so boring. <laughs> it is they, boring. They, they go to like England and they're like, here is Buckingham Palace, and we are watching so-and-so walk to the door. Mm-hmm. Now, back to Australia. Here we are in Australia. There's the Prime Minister's office, where they are discussing blah, blah, blah. Now, to America. <laughs> and that's all it is. Yeah. And, and so you try to get to the performances, and you're like, this just goes on. Yeah. It is so dull. And so finally the Beatles show up, and you're like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Man. Um, August. That was the, they were the last on that, weren't they? I, I think, think it so. ended. They ended that show. I yeah. think so, yeah. Um, August 27th of that year, 67, Brian Epstein is found dead in his London home. Yeah. Yeah. From yeah. an overdose, I think. Yep. An accidental, so they say, overdose of uh, barbiturates and alcohol. Right. He had suffered from insomnia for a long time. Mm. And um, not only that, he, he suffered from a lot of uh, personal issues and, and kind of a self-loathing situation because he was one of the first openly gay individuals in England, really, right. that, that people knew. And that was seriously looked down on and hated. Oh, yeah. And so he just felt shunned in that way. And he felt, he always felt like he was less than everybody. Right. And at one point, rumor was that he had a suicide note and he'd given it to somebody. I can't remember the name, but they stopped him. And he's like, you can't do this. And so mm. he talked him out of it. Um, but from what I understand, when they he actually did die in his room behind a locked door, um, his housekeeper found him. Um, couldn't open the door because it was locked. So she called or he called. I can't remember who it was, but they came and they broke the door down mm-hmm. and then found him there, fully clothed, in pajamas. And what makes me think that it was accidental is that he had an open book next to him, like in his hand. Mm. So he was reading but he was taking some very heavy sleeping pills and then mixed with alcohol to try to relax and it's just it was too yeah. much. Yeah. And it was a build up from all the other pills that he'd been taking up to this point. Yeah. And just body couldn't take it. So Yep. Went out the same way. He's like Marilyn Monroe. That's right. Judy Garland. Yeah. Yep. Too many pills. And the Beatles did not go to his funeral. And that wasn't for any other reason than the fact that they didn't want a media circus. Right. They wanted to honor his memory and the family, and so they stayed away on purpose. Yeah. Because, obviously, 
1967, the Beatles show up. Everybody shows up with them. It's no longer <laughs> so, focused on him. That's right. Everybody's now on their attentions on them, and it would, yeah. And and so what they did is they, um, if I'm not mistaken, they they sent a single rose that they wanted placed um, with him on the casket or in the casket when he was buried. But he was a Jewish man, and they don't allow flowers at burials mm. or at sem- or you know at funerals. And so what had happened is that once he was lowered down. Um, I forgot who it was that was there, but they he had the rose wrapped up in newspaper, mm-hmm. and right before they started putting dirt onto the coffin, he threw it in there. Threw it in, and so that was actually buried with him. So, wow. Um, November twenty seventh, uh, just a couple months later, Magical Mystery Tour album is released. Yeah, in accordance with the uh, TV show. Yeah. <laughs> That was played in black and white. In originally. black and white. If you've ever seen Magical Mystery Tour, <laughs> you have to watch it in color because it's it's a very colorful yes. thing. Yeah. Even the whole scene with their song flying, it's just landscapes, but they do it in like morphing technicolor. Mm-hmm. And so if you're watching that thing in black and white, you're like, what is this? Yeah. This is what this is boring. How boring exactly? Yeah. And so they showed it on Boxing Day. <laughs> In black and white. And and again, they had color. Yeah. It's like, you got to watch it in color. Yeah. Or you're not going to get anything out of it. Which you may not get anything out of it now either. But, eh, you know. True. You know, Having up, seen it, yeah. Yeah. Up to this point, they were big, they were heavy drinkers, all four of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's basically what that show was. Because you could go on trips in India and stuff like that where you just get drunk on a bus. Yeah. That was the, it was like... You know how these old people get on buses to go to Wendover. Right. You know it's the same situation, except you go on, you get drunk, you sing songs, you have mm-hmm. fun, and that's basically what it was. So, um, February through April, uh, nineteen sixty-eight, the Beatles attend a retreat with the Maharishi Mahashyogi. They do. Uh, several of them came and went during that time. Right. But uh, I think it was like Lennon and and. John and George that actually left in April after realizing that this guy is a fraud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time to go. Yeah, he uh he really lured in George because George really started looking into the whole Indian culture and yeah. the, you know, and uh um he was really enthralled by the idea of every religion branching off from one single tree. There's one idea. Mhm. I mean, this is what um uh I just forgot the name of the the religion, uh, George's religion. Oh my gosh, Buddhism. Uh, it was. Uh, mm. Gosh dang it! Oh, I just lost it. Um, anyway, so the Indian religion that I'm trying, <laughs> Harry Krishna. There you okay. go. Yeah, yeah. The Harry Krishna. Harry Krishna faith believes that every religion is correct in its own way, but it's all branched in one basic belief, which is to be better. Fair enough, yeah. And so that's what he really pushed, and so that's why he never put down any religion or any belief, and he was looking to just expand and 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 just unite, and yeah. he became... I believe George was more for peace, actually, like in his, in his heart and in his mind, than John Lennon trying to promote peace. Right. I think John Lennon did it more for the attention aspect 
Yeah. Whereas George Harrison did it to better himself, and so he was much more quieter about it. And the way he promoted it was to bring on these Indian musicians in his concerts and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and you know what he promoted through his music. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of what I feel. But yeah, Maharishi was trying to get a little frisky with the Pharaoh sisters, yeah. Mia Pharaoh and, and yeah. her sister. So, um, Prudence, sorry, Prudence. Yeah, that's right, Prudence Pharaoh. Dear Prudence, uh, July seventeenth. Of 68, Yellow Submarine movie is released. That's another one I've come to appreciate later on. Yes. Because as a as a kid, uh, opposed from your kids, right. you watch that and you're like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> what am I watching? Yeah. This is an acid trip of a movie. And that's basically why it was invented yeah. <laughs> for that purpose. But you watch it now and you're just like, okay, it's, you know what it is. Yeah. It's fun. It's colorful. It's a dumb little story. That's it. And that's it. And it has its funny parts. It does. It really yeah. does. Um and and it you know, it added a lot of words into the American lexicon like blue meanie mm-hmm. and stuff like that. The love glove, you know, <laughs> those kind of things. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Mark uh Mark Hamill, speaking of blue meanie, credits the way he did the Joker yeah. with how I don't know the actor's name, whoever did the blue meanie, that was yeah. a big inspiration to him. There you go. Because the blue, the way the blue meanie was, and the Joker, they share similar looking features. They really the great big grin, yeah, the huge grin, like the yellowish teeth, mm-hmm. just yeah, <laughs> trying trying hard to uh, eliminate people while smiling and laughing yes. about it. Yes, so. and even Steven Spielberg himself has credited Yellow Submarine with a very artistic film to look at. If, yeah, if if you want to know how to do, you know that style yeah you know, this the psychotropic type you know <laughs> weird acid trip style movies so um it's, it's weird it is weird you have boots monster boots and you know fuzzy phd guys mm-hmm. foot <laughs> yeah jeremy hillary boob <laughs> foot <laughs> jeremy hillary boob Foot. <laughs> <laughs> um, November 8th of 68, John and Cynthia Lennon's divorce is completed. Yeah. Um, that was only a matter of time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he had been delicto in flagrante with Yoko for quite a while. Yes. And so... I mean, he met her in 66. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Cynthia was... Uh, she was on the receiving end of a very angry John Lennon. Yeah. I mean, she was abused. I mean, I'm not going to beat around the bush. <laughs> beat around the Cynthia like John Lennon did. But uh, wow. <laughs> he, he was abusive yeah. to her, and um, admittedly so. So I don't have a problem saying that because he, he had said it. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, some of the lyrics he added, speaking of Sergeant Pepper, was, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her part. That was John Lennon's lyric yeah. that he added to that song. But once he met Yoko, he really kind of toned it down. And that's what it took. It took her, mm-hmm. you know, influencing him in that way to treat women better. Yeah. So, you know, credit to her for that. Yeah. I will say that. Um, Unfortunate for Cynthia. Yeah. yeah. I feel bad for Cynthia. Yeah. Um, 
what I didn't realize is putting all this together, I didn't know Yoko Ono was also married before. That's right. I didn't realize that. That's right. There's a little there's a little audio clip of them in the studio where John Lennon starts singing that Yoko's divorce finally went through. Mm. And he's sitting there singing about it. <laughs> so she was having an affair with him at the same time he was having an affair yep. with her. And both yep. their married p- partners were on the receiving end of not-so-good situations. So. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, November 22nd, uh, the Beatles, a.k.a. the White Album, was released. Yes. And again, another first by the Beatles, the first double LP mm. to be released. And so, which I think they probably shouldn't have done because there, <laughs> there are a lot of songs on that album where I'm like, you could have done without yeah. this. Well, it seems like, I mean, didn't they have basically full creative control? Like there's nobody to really rein them in. That's right. And nobody to say no. Let's not put that yeah. on. It's like, well, yeah. I have this song here. Put it on. So, okay. Yeah. You know, I have this. I have wild honey pie here. Put this on. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. I will. Which that's something I recently learned. Surprisingly, is that Paul does every vocal and every instrument on that song. Mm. Wild honey pie. It's just him in the studio by himself being Paul. Well, and that's basically how the White Album came together. It's like. George would be off in a corner recording something. Paul would be over here recording something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's, this is also the point that Ringo left. Right. Because it was that splintered. And yeah. it's like, this is no longer a group thing. Yeah. And with him not really giving any input for songs or anything creatively, he just felt like he had nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And so he left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't blame him there. No. Um, July, or excuse me, January 13th, 1969, the Yellow Submarine album was released. Uh, January 30th, uh, the Beatles give their final public performance on the roof of Apple. Yeah. And if you've, if you're a Beatles fan or even, you know, you have Disney Plus, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw that whole Peter Jackson, um, get back documentary that came through and that'll give you yep. a lot of insight yes. as to what was going on around that time. A lot of insight. And yeah. what what what's the main thing you took away from that for you for from Get Back? Um that they they procrastinated a lot before yes. they even recorded one note. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> and uh that it wasn't Yoko getting in the way. No. She never made a sound. She no. sat on the amp or a chair or whatever and just listened. Just listened. That was it. Yeah. The annoying people was like Paul's wife constantly being around taking pictures. Right. And his kids constantly running around. Yeah. Like in the recording booth and stuff. Like That's those right. were the annoyances, not Yoko. No. She just wanted to be there with John. Yeah. You know, and so... You know, the rumors, that's when the rumors started that she was looking to destroy the Beatles because up till that point, they didn't have anybody necessarily there all the time. Yeah. I mean, their wives had come in, obviously, and like you said, Paul McCartney's girl had come in. But um, yeah, up until that point, there was nobody there as much as the other four. And so now that Yoko was there, Mm -hmm. you know, the rumors started, oh, she's trying to break them apart. It's like, nope, just wants to be there with. She kept her mouth John, shut. She yeah. was silent. She wasn't she wasn't giving any input to songs. Mm-mm. She wasn't shrieking except when they all started going nuts. Yeah. And then she started, but 
Yeah. I mean, I, I admittedly watching this, I felt bad yeah. of the way that I had pictured Yoko up mm-hmm. to this point. After I watched that, I'm like, boy, was I wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody know? was. Admittedly. So yeah, she just sat there quietly. Because like, nobody geez. wanted to think that it, it wasn't her. It was them. They yeah. were the ones splintered. They were oh, the yeah. ones, the, the cracks were already forming at that, or formed at that yeah. point. Yeah. And had been for a long time. Yeah. Long time. Um, okay. So then I was, if I could say, yeah, the, like, like you were saying, the one thing, one of the main things I took away from get back was amazingly, like you were saying, they procrastinate for so long before they even start recording that by the time they went up on the roof, they're like, I was thinking, what are they going to play? I mean, I knew what they were going to play, but I was so involved in it. I'm like, they haven't practiced anything Yeah, that, you know, the rehearsals to go from, you know, beginning to end for these songs were not there because mm-hmm. it's like it felt like most of the songs weren't even finished yet. Yeah. And then they went up and put on this show like they had been practicing it nonstop for months. Where it's like just five minutes before, they're like, I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, JoJo was a man who thought he was a what? You know, it's like they didn't yeah. know the words. Yeah. You know, he left his home and you know, Phoenix, Arizona. It's mm-hmm. like, no, it's too, you're yelling at the screen, Tucson, <laughs> say Tucson, you know? Yeah. You know, but, uh, then they went up there and just played like it was no problem. Yeah. You know, like they'd been playing those songs for years. Just insanity. That's what I took away from it. It was like, there's your talent yep. right there. It's like they had it in their mind, how they want to sound. And it just came out through yep. the instruments. It's insane. And how, uh, Paul, created the song get back yeah that was crazy to watch he was just that sitting was. there playing his bass just sitting there strumming the way of the bass and, and you could see it in his face he, he just started thinking <laughs> yeah he and go to one note go to another note go back to that note go to another note and what's interesting is also is that you see george and ringo watching him mm-hmm. and they start realizing what's happening and so they start thinking as well yeah and george gets out the guitar and he's Playing along, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the birth of a classic. Yep. You know, it's like rewatching your kid being born. Yeah. It's like, there it is. <laughs> There's the birth. It was insane. Yeah. yeah. That was that was one of the best parts. For sure. Yeah. It was crazy to watch. Um, March 12th of that year, 69, uh, Paul marries Linda. Yeah. March 20th, um, just eight days later, John marries Yoko. In Gibraltar. Yes. The Rock of Gibraltar, yeah. because they couldn't get married anywhere else, <laughs> because she was Japanese, and so it's like, well, way to go! You get people. married here, yeah. <laughs> you know, lightly said in the song, yeah, exactly. You can get married in Gibraltar near yep. Spain, and yep. that was a very that is a very biographical song because every one of those lyrics are exactly what happened, mm-hmm. you know, and so. <laughs> um, September 20th of 69, uh, John tells Paul and Ringo at a meeting to sign a new contract, a new recording contract, yeah. that he was leaving the group. Yep. Yeah, he uh, he brought in this guy named Alan Klein that yeah. everybody kind of, you know, um, were, was drawn to. Paul was kind of standoffish. He said, I don't want... Because he felt that Alan Klein was looking to just take over the entire situation, mm-hmm. which he was. Which he was. But uh, he was so charismatic that the Beatles, you know, the other three kind of glommed onto him for a while. Mm-hmm. The same they did with the Maharishi. It's like they just looked for people to 
attach themselves yeah. to. They needed somebody. somebody to like wrangle them, somebody that That's had right. direction. So you had your George Martin, you had your Maharishi, and you had your Alan Kleins. Yeah. You know, these were the more fatherly figures that I think makes sense because the Beatles really didn't, apart from maybe Paul, yeah. have a serious fatherly influence. And so they saw it in these three and that's my own opinion i mean that's what i see it as makes sense you know somebody to take over the business somebody to tell them what to do because without it and again they were all less than 30 years old Mm -hmm. you know once they hit that fame just out of their teenage years they hadn't had time to mature that way yeah i mean that's something you see and get back they're like swinging from the rafters and Mm -hmm. screaming and it's like man yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. these are kids yeah mentally they were kids yeah and so they were swayed by anybody that looked like they knew what they were doing (laughs) so yep yeah famously he came in and said i want a divorce and he was he was done um fun fact about that yeah he actually signed the official paperwork at the polynesian resort in walt disney world did he he did that's funny. And you can actually stay in that room. That's one of the main booked rooms at the Polynesian. Oh, I'm sure it is. You can't get in there. <laughs> you, know? you can see it yeah. just right, you know, as you're walking around the resort. It's like, there's the room where the Beatles ended officially. <laughs> so, right there in Walt Disney World. Um, then, just six days later, uh, Abbey Road was released. Yes. Uh, then we go to 1970, April 10th. Paul announces that he's officially left the group in a press conference. Oh. <sighs> That's unfortunate. Um, that's that caused a huge rift, yeah, between him and everybody else because um, John had recorded with the quote unquote Plastic Ono band, even performed with them before that, right? And he also released Give Peace a Chance before that. Mm-hmm. But in order to keep up appearances, and you can see it in the sheet music, he credited Paul McCartney as a co-writer of that song. But he had nothing to do with it. Right. And so he got mad saying, I could have gone out on my own and released this as my solo, you know, announcement. Mm-hmm. And here's Paul undercutting everybody, you know, coming out with, you know, yeah. McCartney. Yeah. And solo album. So a huge, a huge rift there. Yeah. Um, then in May 8th, uh, Let It Be, the last album official, yep. I guess, Beale's album was released. Last album released, but second to last to be recorded. Yes. I think that was interesting. Yeah. That uh, Abbey Road was the last recorded, but it was Let It Be that was last released. Right. To coincide with the release of the movie, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. How to Break Up a Band. Yeah, pretty which much. Which is what uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg kind of twisted that all around to show. Because mm-hmm. once he had, it seemed like once he had his footage, because he didn't get what he wanted. I mean, you can see that and get back. Mm-hmm. He pushed this idea of a live performance yes. and all these, where yes. do you want to perform? Where do you want to perform? Okay, now when we perform, where do you want to? It's like, oh my gosh, will you shut up? Yeah. And it's like, gee, yeah. they don't want to perform. And so I think we should perform at the Coliseum in you know Italy or yeah. whatever you're saying. It's like, good night. Yeah. And so by the time he, and again, my take on it is by the time he had all this footage, it's like, well, I'll just put it out as... This is the way the Beatles broke mm-hmm. up, and that's kind of how it was promoted. So, But it wasn't until Peter Jackson got a hold of it. It's like, that's really not what it was. It was no. them struggling, yeah, but they wanted to do an album. They mm-hmm. wanted to get one out there, and so there it was. Yeah. Um, and then just uh, 
last few things here of note. Obviously, December 8th, 1980, uh, John is shot and killed outside of his New York apartment. Uh, December 4th, 1995, um, with the release of Anthology, Free as a Bird, uh, first new Beatles song in years. How'd you it, feel about that song? I like Free as a Bird. Do you? Mm-hmm. You like it better than their second one? Yes. Real Love? Yeah. Um, which is which was released on March 4th, 1966. Um, 96? 96. And that would be the last Beatles song ever released <laughs> which is weird to think because i was 11 <laughs> it's weird. you're getting brand new beatles songs during my senior year in high school mm-hmm. from a band that formed back in the 50s yeah to the point where everybody was excited about it yeah it's like that many years later <laughs> yeah you know and it's weird yeah where where you know shortly after that you know, I'm George died, and now there are only two members left. Yeah. But even to this point, to still be discussing them as relevant mm-hmm. when they ended so many years ago is it's really insane if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's everything. Everything I got. Obviously, you know uh, the the three remaining before George passed from lung cancer yes they did a lot did a lot of solo stuff obviously yep. paul and ringo are still going but as far as the beatles go that was that's it that's it by the way ringo's coming to salt lake in july is he, he is Ooh. uh the cheapest ticket you can get right now that's still available is 79 bucks okay so but he is making his way um they started doing pre-sales so i'm not sure if anything's available right now but um and that was be at the Delta Center. Yes. Which it is officially again. Again. The yep. Delta Center. So. so yeah, there you go. That's it. Yeah. That's uh the Beatles history in a nutshell, essentially. That is their timeline. That's that's most of the big parts. Yeah. The highlights of, of their career. And what's what I like to think of is if you make a list of one of the most successful artists. Of all time, one who has continually produced album after album, decade after decade, new music after new music, and still being successful. And let's say he was born in oh I don't know 1942. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to to make a list of all the people, somebody born in the 40s that is still successful musically today, making music, selling out concerts. You have one name. And it's Paul McCartney. Yep. That is it. There yep. is nobody that comes close to what Paul McCartney has done. Yeah. And I would say that John Lennon would be right there with him had he not, you know, same with George, mm-hmm. um, had they not died. But, uh, and then Ringo, for me, he goes around so people can see him, really. He's not releasing a whole lot of new music. Mm-mm. And when he does, it's usually covers of songs from the 50s and 60s or he rehashes Beatles songs. Yeah. But he's not releasing new material. The last one he did was that, I think, or the one of note was what I felt was like a We Are the World ripoff, but you know, less successfully. Mm-hmm. I think it was during the pandemic, and uh, it, it's a horrible song. And so <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of, of Ringo's original 
work. His two most successful songs were co-written by George Harrison. So that says something. Yeah. And, you know, one of his biggest solo songs was You're 16. Mm-hmm. He didn't write that. That was been around for a long, yeah. long time. And so... I mean, the same with Paul's <laughs> single <laughs> stuff. It's not great. It's not. Um, it's, Especially recently. Yeah. His, his age is coming through in his voice. Yes. I'd say... For me, his most successful solo record recently was an album called Egypt Station. Yes. I really enjoy that one. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, McCartney 3 that he released, I think the remixes are better. Okay. <laughs> when people like you know Idris Elba takes his take on it, mm-hmm. Beck takes his take on it, um, I think that version is a whole lot better <laughs> than his original yeah. Three imagined, three reimagined, three imagined is what it's called. <laughs> but uh, I enjoy that a lot more. So yeah, kind of it, it. It just goes to show that you know I think Paul needed John when it comes to songwriting. Yeah, I think they're really able to balance. Whereas Paul was more of like he, he wrote more like the saccharine sweet songs, you know. Yes, like pop, general pop music. Whereas yeah. John wrote more of like wanting to say something he did within his lyrics and it was usually heavier yeah you know he uh he he had a lot of anger yes <laughs> that yes, comes through in his songs um if you listen to the song mother mm-hmm. or if you listen to the song cold turkey you can tell because he just screams yeah just venting through his lyrics just screaming yeah and um you, you you can just tell with with how he's actually feeling. You listen to the song uh, "Working Class Hero," mm-hmm. and that gives you a deep insight as to how he feels about society as a whole, and how school is just there to scare you and torture you, and then they expect you to go out and get a job, and then you're controlled out there. Yeah, and, you know, it's like well, you know, and then they expect you to do something. It's like well, what you can do is just be a working class hero, as mm-hmm. he said. And unfortunately, Mark David Chapman took that and saw it as being very hypocritical from John Lennon, which really, yeah, prompted him to do what he ended up doing. So yeah, well, says the says the millionaire, you know, famous songwriter. Yeah, exactly. Talking about the working man, what does he know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like living out on his estate with his millions. Like, yeah. what does he know about being out with the people? Yeah. While he turns his back to the fact that he's there in Harlem in protest marches mm-hmm. and, and shouting through megaphones and looking to get deported because of his beliefs. Like, yeah. did you miss that? <laughs> yeah. did, did you miss that aspect? <laughs> you know, the billboards that say war is over if you want it, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. It's like, I think you missed that point here. Um, true, he had money. But, you know, from what we just discussed, that's where that came from. Yeah. He didn't do it ripping anybody off. He didn't do it, you know, being a sham. Yeah. He's always been very open and upfront with who he is and how he feels. Mm-hmm. So, well. yeah. <sighs> um. Well, I mean, anything else you want to throw in? Um, probably not for this one. I think we went through uh, the timeline with uh, pretty much hitting all the points yeah. that that are fairly relevant 
and that's and that's what I wanted to do. Like yeah. there was so much in between there all is. these. There is a Just, lot. Yeah, tons. I of mean, stuff. you could talk about when John hired the uh, the television repairman to come in and build a studio, which just went to crap with, uh, they called him, what was the name? Magic Mike. Mm-hmm. Or Magic, Magic Alex. Ma- not Magic Mike. That's a stripper show. Yeah, that's Jack Magic, Tatum. <laughs> Magic Alex. Um, to come in and just, he basically just added a bunch of flashing lights into a studio. It didn't do anything for sound. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, that was him reaching for somebody to glom onto. Yeah. It looks like he knew what he was doing. Um, talk about, you know, their exposure to the drug culture through, you know, through their dentist or through Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. who actually introduced them to marijuana, introduced Ringo to marijuana. And then he came out and introduced everybody else mm-hmm. to marijuana. But, um, yeah, and that effect that they had. And, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of little bits and pieces yes. yeah. that we could go on for days Yes. Because we're talking lifetimes of these guys, and they're in their 80s. Mm-hmm. And so there's just so much that's gone on that I'm sure he's in having, hasn't even come to light yet, in all honesty. Sure, yeah. You know, this is just the public stuff. This yeah. is stuff that you, you know, <laughs> see. Wait till one or both of the Beatles die, and then you're going to get the tell-all book that, you know, yeah. is, is, we'll just look to trash them. I, I guarantee that's going to happen. Yeah. Because then they'll have nobody to refute. Yep. You know, it'll happen. <laughs> um, all right. Well, there you go. Uh, next episode, uh, since we've already covered uh, Beale's history, we're going to talk more about what the band itself means to us personally. Right. Favorite albums, songs, in their influence as a whole, all that right. stuff. So that'll be next episode. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening. If you did, uh, make sure to like the podcast, subscribe to it, uh, give us a rating, um, share us around. Really appreciate those people who have liked the Facebook page. It's gone up by a few. It has. And I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate those people who've, who have looked at the reels and uh, regarding our podcast and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully it's been semi-entertaining for you listening to us go on for this last hour or so. About hour and a half. Hour and a half. Yep. And if, if the Beatles interest you, tune in next week as well. So <laughs> yep. we're going again. <laughs> also, the people that comment on our Facebook page, oh, yeah. um, there's always one or two comments on every episode we post. So we appreciate that. We really do. It's fun to read. Yep. All right, um, so just uh, tune in next week to hear the brothers ramble about another topic. See you. See you.